the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, it, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he pinned me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If if Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose, and he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mention a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name and happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. on the line right now is a former WWC junior and television champion, a former four-time global light heavyweight champion. Of course, he's a former WWF superstar. He is the pug, Alex Porto. Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, guys. How are you, Steven? Yeah, doing pretty good. I can't complain. What is going on in your world? What have you been up to? Oh well, I'm in Orlando now. We uh, we've got a uh, wrestling promotion here, Pro Wrestling 2.0. Been around about five years now. Primarily a training center. We do run shows monthly. Uh, we're just a couple miles down the road from the performance center. So, uh, but we're staying busy. We got you know roughly 25 students in and out. So, uh, other than that, that's about it. How about how, what's going on in Jersey? Uh, we just came uh, out of a big snowstorm, so it's uh, we, everyone's kind of been trapped inside for a few days, even oh. more so than, than normal with, with COVID. Sure. Now, as far as, you know, that performance center being not that far, do you guys have any sort of loose affiliation with WB? Do they kind of keep their eyes on you and, and watch you guys and stuff? Well, you know, they know we're here, of course. Uh, you know, of course, a lot of the talent comes over. I, I let them come on in and uh, get their training in. You know, things are real. A lot of red tape right now around the PC and and uh, you know access to some of the rings there. So uh, we kind of got an open door thing for them over here. We let the boys come in and roll around. So yeah, they know we're down here. Pretty cool. And I think uh, Ace Steel recently, right? He was working with you guys, and obviously works with the Performance Center as well. Yeah, Ace came in, uh, he, you know, he got furloughed, and uh, we gave him a little spot here once a week to coach for, uh, um, I guess he was probably with us for a few months, but uh, he did go back to the Performance Center, so um, uh, we're happy uh, they picked him back up. It was a good move. Who's been some of, like, your standout students, um, some names that we would probably recognize? Um. Well, to be honest with you, a lot of our guys are still local kids here. Uh, they've been looked at a little bit, and that's some extra work. Um, but I wouldn't say that you would, 
you would recognize them, you know, uh, nationwide. Uh, but we've got uh, a couple of uh, couple of names that come out of here. We've had some uh, 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 Culture Inc. is one of our one of our great tag teams that we put together from day one uh, with Nick Holiday and uh, Kaya Dream. She's with them. Uh, they're really doing a really really great job down here in Florida. Um, let's see, uh, Chicago Bear. He's one of our one of our guys. Uh, he he's actually with OVW right now up with Al Snow. Uh, let's see. We've had a few guys go in and out of the PC for tryouts. Um, you know, just just looked at and and let them know what they need to work on. Not necessarily a no, but not now. So other than that, yeah, we, we've got some activity around, but um, uh, as far as household names, not yet, no sir. I feel like with you guys being so close to the Performance Center and Florida kind of being a hotbed for wrestling now, AEW's down there, I feel like it's almost like the perfect spot, right? Anybody wrestling is kind of going down to Florida for the time being. It is. I mean, it's been the capital of pro wrestling for a while now, you know, um, especially with AEW coming down here and they're, now they're in Jacksonville. And, uh, just there, you know, this is really it. Everything's kind of consolidated down to TV now. It's a totally different time right now. So uh, yeah, there's more, a lot more down here than you think. And then I'd probably the other, you know, eighty percent of the boys are in Tampa, and the other, the rest of them are here. You just got a handful down in Miami, but yeah, it's 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 become the capital of pro wrestling. That's for sure. As far as you and kind of getting the business, I feel like that's just like a generic question, how to get in the business. But I know, like, the backstory of it, your way of getting in was so great, and it teaches kind of perseverance. And I'm sure it's something you teach all your students, too. Like, you just you don't just knock on the door. you got to kind of kick it in. So how did you kind of break into the business? Um, you know, I was, I was a young man in Louisiana growing up uh, watching Mid-South probably seventh and eighth grade, probably, you know, 81, 82. Um, and then I went into high school, and, and the high school program had a great, great wrestling team. Uh, and I was a big, big mark for, like, Three Birds and the Midnight Express and, uh, of course, several other Mid-South guys. But I, uh, I you know, kind of had a relationship with Cornette a little bit, um, just just speaking to him, you know, when he'd leave the building high, high and by. And, um, anyway, we kind of – you know, spoke a little bit, and um, uh, he told me to, you know, get on the wrestling team, get yourself in good shape, and, and maybe point me in the right direction. Well, in the meantime, I, there was a little uh, uh, gym down the road, Stars Gym. Uh, a lot of the boys stayed there, and he was one of the original mask interns uh, out of the uh, St. Louis territory. And uh, he told me, he said, hey, you know, uh, uh, we got a ring back here. I've got a I got a guy I'm going to train. He said, I don't really want to get in there and work with him. If you want to get in there and work with him, uh, we're starting next week. So uh, I slipped in right there, and I was the baby face while he was calling everything. And, and I learned the basics of, you know, the foundation of pro wrestling right there for the most part. Um, and then uh, I got my first break in, in Dallas with World Class. Uh, Akbar got me a spot there, and my first TV match was with Cowboy Johnny Falk. Now, as far as you getting in the door, is it true with Akbar? You basically gave him a tape and kind of made him watch it, and you know, basically were saying, "Hey, you know, look at me. You know, I want. You know, I want this." Exactly what I did. I backed up a truck, a uh, uh, '77 Ford F50 uh, or one thing, whatever that thing is. Uh, backed it up the arena. I loaded a TV and a VCR, and I took it to one of the rooms there in the staging area. And uh, this is whenever uh, there was a monster truck place going on, a uh, monster jam thing. And uh, World Class had come in there and just put a few matches on. I think Kevin Von Erich was there, and maybe Iceman and Ack, maybe Buddy Roberts. Uh, just a, a few of them sprinkled in into the show. Um, but I, I, I went and got Ack, and I, and, and I went and showed him his tape in that room. And he said, Alex, I might have something for you over in Dallas. You know, would you, would you be interested in doing some TV over there. And I said, yes, sir. And, uh, and that's where it started. That's amazing. That just kind of shows you, you know, you're not going to take no for an answer. Look, you know, you got the VHS, you got, the, you got everything for them to look at you. 
Well, I mean, you know, it's, it wasn't that I wouldn't have taken no for an answer. I mean, because there was a lot of guys that 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 didn't get in. But but you know, I mean, with me presenting what what I had and the age that I was and 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 the build that I had, I think it just. I mean, he he knew he was talking to somebody that that you know was loyal to this, and and that's what it took back then, you know. Yeah, that that just shows you something for sure. And what was it like with Skandar? You always hear different stories of him, but I don't feel like he's not as well-known as maybe he should be. What's kind of the overall impressions of Skandar Akbar? Akbar was a fantastic gentleman. He really was. He never really had to leave Texas. I mean, he lived in uh, Mesquite, Texas. You know, he had that house since 1968, I believe, something like that. But, um, you know, he and he saved all his money. Uh, he was, you know, good on the road with his money and um, just, you know, uh, I know that he could have gone anywhere if he wanted to because uh, he was so over, uh, but he didn't have to. And, and you know, after World Class, you know, and, and then USWA came in there and it kind of faded out after Global, he just did some spot shows around Louisiana and Texas and Arkansas, Mississippi, you know, for the remaining part of his life there. And uh, But, you know, I think uh, – any anyone in the world would know Skandar Akbar if you mentioned the name, even though he wasn't on some of the big major TVs, you know, you know, in the Northeast and stuff. When you first broke into world class, who were you wrestling? Um, Al Perez? Like, were you doing a lot of enhancement matches? No, not really, because because those guys they knew I could work and and they wanted to work, you know, so. Uh, they weren't really enhancement matches at all. I would work with now um, Chris Adams, Iceman, Jimmy Jack Funk, Al Perez, The Simpsons. I worked with Kevin Von Erich and Carrie. Uh, let's see, who else? Uh, the Youngbloods, Eric Embry, Bill Dundee. And so those guys, you know, I was very, very green, of course, but but I could do almost anything that they would call. And so, and they knew that. So they, you know, they they took care of me out there, so to speak. Was Fritz still around at this point, or was he, this is when he's kind of fading away? No, I didn't see Fritz too much after I went over. He wasn't he wasn't in there too much. Eric Embry was actually the booker when I first went in in '87 or '88, rather. Uh, but Fritz wasn't around, no sir, not too much. What was it like under Eric Embry? Eric was great. He was a good guy, you know, and, and Eric was, uh, he, he always had a nice smile on his face and he was uplifting and he would let you know what you needed to work on. And I enjoyed working with Eric. I mean, uh, he was, a, he was over, man. And, and I had a lot of respect for him. Did you like, appreciate the sportatorium down there in Dallas, Texas? I'm oh, sorry, did I what? Did you like and appreciate the sportatorium down there in Texas? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just, that was home for so many guys. And, you know, I mean, they do say if you were anything in pro wrestling, you worked in that building. And uh, and I believe that. What was it like in there? Because they always hear, like, the stories, you know, air condition, heat, you know what I mean? It wasn't, like, the greatest venue for the actual boys. It wasn't. I mean, you know, it was cold when it was cold. It was hot when it was hot. But I mean, you know, it was it was it was home to to Texas wrestling. You know, uh, it was probably the hottest thing in Texas. As a matter of fact, it was. You know, although the Funks had their thing out in Amarillo, and then you know, uh, Houston had their program down there. Uh, but there was nothing like the Sportatorium. You know, yeah, all of them came through there. What was it like working with Al Perez? I feel like maybe he could have been, you know, a bigger star or could have been more in the mainstream, but never quite broke through. What do you think about Al Perez? Al's a fantastic, one of the best workers I've ever worked with, and, and I think probably one of the best workers ever out there. Uh, had a lot of charisma. And, you know, he had a strong run there with Flair, and they were going to put the belt on him. Um, and then I don't know what happened with that, but I know he went up to – uh, WWE briefly, and um, uh, I know that uh, based on some things that I heard, and he's actually got a shoot promo out that talks about it, uh, that 
you know, one of the agents had said something about, uh, maybe you need to, you know, go both ways. And uh, Al got really hot about that. And, and then whoever it was said, no, 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 we're talking about Babyface Hill. And Al was like, yeah, I don't think this is a territory for me. And so he left up there. And, you know, Al just kind of kind of faded out, you know. I mean, but he had such a strong run with Wendell Cooley and Mid-South as the tag team champs. And, and, uh, and, then, and then what he did in Florida and, and world class and, and NWA. So uh, Al had a good run. You know, and uh, I would never say he was underrated. Uh, he was a top guy from day one. Yeah, I feel like that. I guess that's what happened with WWE. But I feel like you know, it was crazy that you didn't make it. But I guess you know, there's other circumstances uh, involving that for sure. Like like you just mentioned. Sure, you just, I mean, the business is you know, you never know, brother. I mean, everybody has a story, you know. Absolutely. You actually end up going to WCW for a little bit. You know, you work with the Midnights, who you were a big fan of, working with uh, Cactus Jack and Bill Irwin. How'd you make the uh, jump there? I mean, it's not a long period of time, but it, you had, do have a bunch of matches for WCW. How did that kind of come to be? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, Jody Hamilton was very, very uh, hands-on with booking extra talent. And, and the in the WCW office and, and about '89 when I was in Louisiana, they were doing a lot of TV in Fort Worth and New Orleans and you know in Arkansas. So they put me on those shots. I mean, I worked with Sting and Doom and Little Rock, and I worked with uh, uh, Terry Funk in Fort Worth and Midnight Out in Amarillo, um, the Road Warriors out of New Orleans, uh, Muda and Baton Rouge. Um, let's see. Um, Iron Sheik over Mississippi. So I was getting a lot of nice little shots there, and it was really, really, you know, really shifting and shifting and sanding me down to to, to making me a better worker. Uh, and, and a lot of those were enhancement matches, I'll tell you they were, because I was green. Uh, and and But, but man, those were some, some great times. I really enjoyed that. And, of course, talking about WCW, I did come back uh, after the pug in 98, um, I did go down and, and started doing some TV for them at Universal. So I did quite a bit with WCW, and, and it was it was fun. I really enjoyed it. It was a good company, I mean. Uh, but nothing touches WWE. Yeah, definitely. When you did that in, in 98, and you, know, you had Russell, Billy Kidman, and guys like that, was there any ever any plan to get a contract and say they're long-term, or is that just kind of a short and sweet? Well, I think that's everybody's goal, and I did go in there and I worked hard, you know, because I, I didn't give an opportunity, get the opportunity to work as hard as I could uh, with WWE, just because of the type of uh, talent they had me with, you know, uh, so to speak. I mean, you know, you're working with Farouk and Mankind, and and uh, you know, some, you know, uh, those guys were they were made to get over strong, and I was in that was the position I was put in, but. But when I was working with like Alex Wright and Kidman and and, and uh, you know Fit uh, uh, Family, those guys wanted to work, you know, and uh, and so I had an opportunity there, more of an opportunity to show what I had. Uh, I never got picked up though, and and I, you know uh, I wasn't disappointed. I mean, I was you know they were taking good care of me on the nightlies out there, but you know it is everybody's dream and goal to, to have a, a regular contract and uh, and get on the road, but it just never happened with WCW, but. Um, I, I've worked several years for them just on a nightly basis, though. Who's the person bringing you in? Is that like a Bischoff or is that Arn Anderson or Kevin Sullivan? Who's bringing you in to WCW? Back then, uh, let's see, who was that um, doing that? I want to say Terry Taylor. Uh, like, I'm not sure what, which all, uh, who, who was contacting us for that, but... Um, to be honest with you, now, now, like I said, Jody Hamilton was uh, primarily the main one in in eight in eighty eight and eighty nine when I worked for them. So, uh, but I don't think Jody. I don't know if Jody was still with them back then or not. I can't. I can't recall that. Yeah, back in that day, you did uh, work Norman the Lunatic a few times uh, as well, if you remember that. I did. Yeah, that was in in eighty nine as well. That was in Oklahoma. Um, sure did. Worked with Kevin Sullivan um, up in Ohio. Worked with Luger in Beaumont. Uh, worked with Luger again up in Ohio. 
uh, yeah, so, yeah, I worked with a lot of, a lot of top guys there and had some great great matches and great times. You've got a great memory. You're really remembering even the, the cities and getting everything right. Damn, you've got a great memory. Uh, well, I'm only 51. I mean, <laughs> true. You're still you're still a young guy for sure. You know, at this time, it's class and USWA is going to kind of you know join forces. AWA, everything kind of comes together. You end up working in Memphis for a bit for uh, USWA. Fun times down there with uh, Lawler and uh, Jarrett down there in Memphis for USWA. What, what kind of times? Were you having like a fun time down there in uh, Memphis? I enjoyed Tennessee. It was really, really good. Uh, you know, they, they, Jerry Jarrett asked me if I wanted to be one of the Dirty White Boys with Tony Anthony, and uh, and that was really my first break outside of world class uh, going in to a you know uh, a, a established territory with a character. So I was brought in right on top of that. I was the first one that uh, took Lenny Denton's place. And uh, that was in 89, 90, I believe, as well. Um, and, yeah, I had some great, great matches up there with the uh, Southern Rockers, with Steve Dahl and Rex King. And uh, we made that we made that loop for a while. I mean, it, it was a good, good learning, uh, great, great learning experience. Not a lot of money. You know, you stayed busy. But we didn't have a lot of bills either. You know, the boys just took care of the boys, and, and we, we made it work. Were you hoping to stick around there, or did you really want to head off? Well, you know, I think I probably could have stayed in Tennessee a little bit longer, um, but but I, I didn't. I ended up going down to Houston uh, and, and, and did some stuff with um, uh, Tom Pritchard and Brother Love and Ahmed Johnson and Booker and Stevie Ray. Uh, we were all kind of down there training together uh, in 90, and uh, and then I got the call from Akbar. Uh, that he was out in Puerto Rico and and he was booked in and he said he might have something for me out there and I ended up getting a pl- getting a plane ticket and doing a one way out there. Didn't know if I'd end up staying or not, but uh, after I, I worked uh, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then I went in the office on Monday, which is generally what the boys would do, and uh, to get their pay paychecks and and they said, hey, amigo, we want you to stay, so. I lived there for two years, and Puerto Rico is really, really uh, almost like college pro wrestling for me. I mean, it just, I mean, working five nights a week, sometimes twice on Sundays, different finish every night, you know, calling on the fly, uh, not not being able to communicate with anybody, uh, language barrier. Uh, so it was just a great, great time. And unfortunately, you know, these guys today will never see anything like that, you know, but um, – um, I wouldn't change it for nothing. And they put the junior title on you, so, I mean, they obviously liked you and wanted to do something with you, right? They did. They did. I was the, I was the youngest one out there at the time. I think I was 21 when I was there. Um, and then I, I dropped that to Ray Gonzalez, and that was a big night. That was in Congress. Uh, and, you know, he was a young young rookie coming in at the time, and, and he was a hot baby face. So uh, that title had a lot of meaning to it. It still does. Now, as far as kind of leaving Puerto Rico and going back to Dallas and going to Global, which obviously was, was, was a great place. It was on ESPN. It was on TV. I remember I used to come home from school and watch it. So what did you think about Global? And uh, I guess it was Joe Pettacino and Eddie Gilbert probably uh, at the helm. Well, funny thing is, is when I left Puerto Rico in 92 and went back to, to Dallas, uh, Pettacino and Eddie, they weren't there anymore. Now it was oh, okay. Gray, yeah, it was uh, Gray Pearson, which is uh, he was a you know uh, a, a well-known uh, lawyer there in, in uh, Dallas that uh, that had invested in it, and uh, Agbar was booking, and Michael Hayes and and uh, Bill Irwin. Um, so when I went in there, and you know I was done with Puerto Rico, they had a guy named Sean Summers in there, uh, Beach Boy Sean Summers. He'd already done a few TVs with them. And um, so Bill Irwin said, "What we'll put you guys together and call you the Beach Bully." So we uh, we did that. I had a super soaker and, and a little, you know, a little sunblock on my nose, and, and, and that gimmick got over pretty good, you know. And we had a nice little run with that, uh, and that was some great, great TV five days a week, you know, worldwide. 
And you got to work with, like we mentioned, uh, Booker T and Stevie Ray, the Ebony Experience at this point, not the Harlem Heat of it yet. That's right. Yeah, yeah, Ebony sure did, yeah. Mm-hmm. What were they like at that point working with them? A little bit younger, a little bit greener, I guess, but what were they like? Did you sense that they were, uh, had some potential? Oh, for sure. Now, you remember now, I told you, I was in 90 before I went to Puerto Rico. We, we trained together and hung out a lot, so we all kind of made a full circle back around there in Texas. So um, we knew each other, and, and, uh, and you know, I was not to pat myself on the back, but I was a great worker at the time, and, and they appreciated that. And, and I don't think that they had quite done, done any territories, but they had done a lot of work in Texas. So, um, you know, um, yeah, we had some great, great matches together. Booker and Stevie, they're class act guys, man. Uh, always have been. He had a nice run in global for sure light heavyweight championship uh, four times i mean they uh yeah you definitely found a home there for sure i did yeah it was fun i really enjoyed it i mean we shot that tv every friday night um it wasn't a lot of money i think it was you know 150 bucks you know uh for per show um but you know i don't think there was a whole lot of money left in there after that now now crockett came in there and tried to save it uh, and called it NWA or something like that. I was yeah. on the booking, booking sheets for that. Uh, and that was that last run. And, um, I, and when they booked that, I want to say that I was in Japan, and my names are still on the booking sheet, but from my understanding, they did run those towns, but nobody ever got paid. Uh, I know Greg Valentine was on that, Murdoch, uh, Rod Price, some of those other mm-hmm. guys, but. Um, anyway, um, and that was the end of Texas. Yeah, it feels like uh, Jim Crockett Jr., you'd think if he's associated with a company, that NWA Dallas was going to become something big. And obviously, you know, they used the Sportatorium. They were really, you know, trying to book a little, little in the, you know, a little bit around Dallas, trying to rebirth that area, but just didn't quite work out. I guess that business plan was not going to be uh, very profitable, especially, you know, if you don't have the money to pay the boys, I don't know how you're going to last. Yeah, you know, I mean, in Crockett now, well, he was trying to keep that thing alive, and, and but, you know, he wasn't going to bury himself doing it. And uh, and there was just so much had gone on there with Yvonne Eriks and Chris and Gino and all that. So it just made it was a tough area then, and it was almost like, Texas needed a break from it, you know, and it was almost, it was just a sad time at the time for Dallas wrestling, you know. Yeah, it's been hot forever with uh, World Class and then Global was trying to keep it going. I mean, there's a bunch of other promotions. CWA was around NWA Dallas, and you had BDPW. I mean, there were so many different promotions, it was almost like, uh, I guess, overkill. They had too many uh, different promotions going on in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, you know, they did, but... um Nobody can, you know, global or, or anything that was going on sport touring. That was one thing for sure, though, is they never let anybody come in there and just run there. Uh, it was always, you know, top-notch shows with, you know, world-class or global. So, um, but, yeah, you know, Indy started popping up there a little here and there. But, um, uh, yeah, it, just never, it was never the same. As far as you going to Japan, how did that happen? Is that through Kendo Nagasaki? Is he bringing you guys over for the now promotion? Yeah, Kendo lived in Dallas, and he and he came down to TV one night, and I think he actually worked worked some shots there. But but he, you know, he he was watching the boys work, and when we came back to the locker room after our matches, um, the guys that he liked, he he walked up to us and says, "Hey, you want to go to Japan?" And I was like, "Yeah, I like to go to Japan." So it just took off from there. I mean, he you know he, he scouted like me and Manny Fernandez. And, Bobby Duncan Jr. and Bradshaw and uh, Ebony Experience. Uh, uh, Bill Irwin went over, so he had a great lot of talent right there, and, and right there in Dallas. And those were easy flights, affordable flights, you know, nonstop to Tokyo. So uh, all the talent was right there for him to do what he needed to do over there. And I bet we went over probably eight or ten times. Uh, it was great, great, great time, and I love Japan. It's my favorite country in the world. Do you like the style of wrestling, like the, the stiff style as well? I do like it. I do like it because it's a working stiff, and it's believable. Um, there's nothing hokey about it. And, and you know, uh, 
the business is just totally different over there. Of course, it, you know, it's it's been broadened out a lot more now over the years, but uh, still a lot of respect for the business over there and, and just the general public in general, not just your marks. I mean, just the people itself, the Japanese people themselves um, have a lot of respect for it. So how did you actually make your way to the WWF for Vince McMahon? I guess it would be in 1996. It, uh, it was. It was in 96. I, I, I moved to Florida in 94. And I was in Orlando. Uh, but they, I, I don't know, somehow or another, I got on some shows in Texas. Uh, and, and I worked with the Godwins in San Antonio. And I knew they were kind of looking at me. Because everybody that they brought in knew how to work, but they wanted to find out if they were responsible and if they picked up car and, you know, they caused any trouble or anything. So, you know, and, and I went in and did, you know, three shots for them. I did San Antonio and, uh, I mean, three matches in two towns. I mean, uh, San Antonio and Corpus Christi. And um, what it was was, I think, uh, you know, what it was was they asked me to run out and, and immediately work with uh, Dustin uh, when he was Gold Dust and Marlena, and, and just call it on the fly because the, the TV was rolling and Xbox had hurt his neck or something like that. So I went out there and worked with Dustin. We just called it on the fly, and I think they were impressed with that match. And uh, they called me uh, a couple weeks later and offered me the contract. So I went in. He had a victory over Barry Arwitz. Uh, pretty early on in your run. Well, that was actually my first match up there. You know, I mean, they they wanted to bring in some guys that, that looked like pro wrestlers that they could put on the road, and and they knew uh, what they were working with every night, you know. So um, instead of just rolling the dice on, on enhancement talent showing up, uh, they figured they'd just put a package of guys together. So they brought me in, Tom Brandy. Freddie Joe Floyd, Tracy Smothers, bless his heart. Um, um, who, which was Nightheart. And then Tony Anthony, uh, Dirty White Boy, they brought him in as a plumber. And then Bill Irwin as a goon. So it was interesting because I don't think any of us knew that we were going to do that. But we all ended up flying into New York and getting in a limo together and going to Titan Towers and doing the tour up there. And So that was, that was very interesting. Um, that was an interesting run with WWE, but I wouldn't change it for nothing. Where does the pug come from? You know, the nickname, the pug, how does that come? Like, how was that birthed? Well, the last thing we did when we were Titan Towers, we went into what they call creations. And, uh, I, uh, I told them everything about what I just learned the wrestling, you know, Alex Porto, uh, the dirty white boys, uh, the beach bully, um, other than that, you know, and then I, the last thing I told him, I said, well, I wrestled four years in, in high school before I, be, you know, became a pro. And, and that was just the last thing I told him. And then about a week later, Bruce Pritchard called me and said, Hey, you're going to be an amateur wrestler. Uh, we're going to call you the pug. You just came out of college. You don't, you know, you're real green. Um, and, um, and it just, that's where it went from there. When you're up there and you're in Titan Towers and stuff, is Vince a big part of that meeting, or is that most of like Bruce Pritchard running the meeting? Um, actually, I'm I'm sure it was Bruce. Um, I, I I know Bruce and, and Vince were probably there, but um, but no, you know they had agents taking us around, um, somebody showing us around and fed us lunch, and they gave us a bag of merchandise. Um, and then they put us all in town cars and shot us back to the airport to fly back home. So, uh, no, I'm sure they were there, but they weren't there with us. Set it all up, of course. Now, you said it was interesting up there. Anything uh, intriguing that uh, ever happened or anything struck you as a little off or a little weird? Well, you know, I knew how to work really good, and they didn't, they didn't let me get over it much, um, which was fine, but, you know, you, you do what the office asks you to do, and, and that's what I did, so, but, uh, you know, I worked hard to get up there. I'd been working 10 years, you know, almost, uh, considered not starting date, but from training, you know, because I started with training when I was probably, you know, 16, 17 years old, but, uh, um, 
so I, I expected more, uh, you know, but at the same time, uh, they knew what they brought us in for. So I couldn't, um, you know, there was, there was it, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, like I said, I wouldn't change it for anything. I enjoyed it. Uh, I just thought I, I really, like anyone else, want, I wanted a longer run. I'd rather have gotten over bigger. Uh, I do think that, you know, my my gimmick uh, intrigued them to bring in a guy like Kurt Angle, which was fantastic. He was a legit shooter, gold medalist. So, um, but that's fine. It's all good. You know, I, I love the business and whatever I can do to contribute. Did they ever plan on having you and Bob Holly being like a tag team for longer? Because you guys did have a bunch of tag matches. You actually beat the Smoking Guns. You lose to Owen and the Bulldog. Was there like anything that they planned that they were going to keep you guys as a team? No, not really. No, Bob and I tagged up. I think, I think maybe twice. If that, no, no, there was no intention. Uh, they just wanted it. They wanted a big pop that night for that TV and. They brought out Owen and, and Davy Boy and Cornette, and they, remember they threw the popcorn in their face, and mm-hmm. Bob, Bob Bob rolled them up, and it was a non-title match, but we went over, which was great. That was probably the best match up there, as far as uh, you know, uh, getting you know getting the pug over. So, so Holly went over on them, but you know we were a team, so that was a nice win. It really was, and that was good. What do you think about some of the other guys you worked up there? I know you mentioned Mankind and Farouk, and obviously, you know, you worked Big Van Vader and Triple H. What do you think about working some of those guys? It was great. I loved it. I really did. Um, but, again, those guys had bigger contracts. They were bigger characters. Um, they they wanted those guys over more. And so that's 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 what happened. Um, you know, um, but those guys, they're, they're, you know, like I said, I mean, uh, we're all, we're all in the same dressing room. We're all the boys, but at the same time, you know, uh, I kind of knew my role there too, so to speak. I got you. As far as kind of the contract, how long was your contract for? Was it only basically a year deal or two year deal? Well, I was on um, I was on a nightly with them basically, uh, and it and it expired. Uh, it was a, it was a nightly, but it was good for two years. Um, so just goes to show you that you know uh, <laughs> no contract up there's you know any they can lay you out on ninety days and there are thirty days uh, any any moment with ours. Um, but uh, they, they covered my, our car rental, our hotel, our plane tickets. And uh, and I think everyone else, for the most part, um, when they brought us in, they knew what they needed us for. Um, so, you know, they, they all of us had the same deal, uh, car, plane, hotel. And, um, and, you know, the other guys were on bigger contracts. Um, so... Um, I don't know if that explains that or not, but yeah, oh yeah, I got you. Now, as far as like the WWF at this point, they were kind of losing big time to WCW. You know, WCW was really kind of kicking in gear with the NWO and other things like that. What was it like backstage? Was there any panic there, or was it just business as usual? No, nah, there wasn't. I mean, WCW was was kicking them in the butt. I mean, with that NWO stuff and. You know, I mean, but at the same time, I mean, Vince was never hurting. I mean, he had, you know, Undertaker and Sean and Vader and Brett. I mean, he still had a lot of top guys there. Oh, and Davey Boy, you know, and, and, and you know, we did we did well up there, even though uh, we weren't doing as good, but still to this day, and, and even at that time, it's like WWF, and there never will be, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, very, very true. I mean, the 83 weeks or really two years of dominance from WCW did not deter them. Uh, Steve Austin kind of uh, really, really blossomed there. He just became you know, man. He became a record breaker uh, for sure. sure. Did you did you work Steve at all? Maybe even down in Dallas, or did you never work with Austin? 
I never did, but I I was at uh, what they call a place called Trader's Village in in Arlington, Texas, uh, our Grand Prairie there, and that was a that was a uh, big uh, uh, flea market type thing there. That Chris Adams he had a little booth there, and uh, he kind of he kind of he gathered students through that through. Uh, do that little that little gimmick, and I remember Steve Austin sitting on a five gallon bucket one day, uh, just waiting to talk to him. And I, you know, I walked by and shook his hand. I was already in the business, um, but uh, but yeah, I, I you know Steve and I, we've been friends since since that day. I mean, you know, sporadically seeing each other, and we hung out in WWE quite a bit, you know, backstage. And but uh, you know, he took off, and and the pug didn't so. Uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. Uh. What did you think about uh, the gentleman, Chris Adams, who was obviously, you know, uh, Austin was a disciple of him and kind of uh, obviously gone way too soon, but he was a, kind of an underrated worker from, from uh, my standpoint. I feel like uh, almost underappreciated a little bit. Chris was a fantastic worker. He really was. And, and, you know, that gimmick he had coming from, from you know, uh, from, from England and, and having the accent. And it was a, it was a total shoot, you know. And, and that's why he was so different early like that. Uh, Chris was a great, great worker. He could be stiff and snug, but that's okay. I mean, you know, as long as you give it back to him uh, and, and everybody's safe, I mean, there was nothing wrong with working like that. Um, you know, Chris was good to a lot of guys when he was in Dallas, like, you know, Terry Taylor and, and they, they, they paid him back and, and gave him a little run there. World class. I think when, you know, they brought him over. Matter of fact, in 98, when I was doing TV down at universal studios for them, uh, they brought in Chris quite a bit, you know, and I think it was just kind of to get Chris a paycheck and keep him running in the business. And, and Chris was still over, you know, um, but, uh, but yeah, Chris had some issues in Texas. I mean, he he ran a lot of spot shows and and he would bury towns. Uh, I know I never worked for him on none of those shows, but he did he did bury some towns and he ended up getting a little heat with that. Uh, I I don't know the details on it, but but you know as far as Chris, I mean I liked him. I really did, uh, and and he was good to me. So where did you head after WCW? Did you head back to Puerto Rico? Is that where you kind of uh, ended up? I did. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I did some spot shows out there. We'd go out there for a weekend or and 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 and, and come back in. Uh, I went out there with Frankie Lancaster in in '07, and uh, you know Frankie Lancaster and Wendell Cooley were the heartbreakers out there uh, when I was there in '91. 92 and they were over really big but Carlos wanted to bring that tag team back but 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 Wendell uh I don't know what he was doing at the time he couldn't get in there but so Frankie called me and said hey you want to go to Puerto Rico and be one of the heartbreakers I said yeah let's go so uh so that, that was fun we had a really good time out there we worked with Chris and Mark Youngblood uh we worked you know with the invaders and, and worked with Carlos and, uh we had we had some great times out there even even you know uh, in the in those in those years, that's pretty cool because I just spoke to Wendell Cooley um, probably about last week. We were talking about Frankie Ledcaster, and I believe he got a government job, and that kind of ended, uh, I guess, the wrestling operations. Uh, yeah, Frankie Frankie did. He, he actually he's actually got his own business right now. He's doing well, and uh, he still looks like. You know, uh, dynamite. I mean, Frankie's always had a great build, and he trains to this day at 4 a.m. So, uh, and we still stay in touch. Frankie's good people. The Thumper, you know, uh, definitely a memorable guy, for sure. And yeah, I'm sure you guys yeah. crossed paths in uh, WCW as well. Yeah, yeah, we did. Frankie, yeah, we never worked together in WCW, um, but we were on, you know, some of the same uh, shows. Uh, but yeah, Frankie was great. He, Good guy and, and a good worker. Mm-hmm. Now, as we start to wind it down, head towards the finish, just was kind of curious. I know it's kind of like a generic question, but I'd love to do that because maybe I can go back and watch on YouTube or fans listening can go back and create like a playlist. But what are some of your favorite matches or favorite opponents from your career? 
Um, I can't think of the Japanese guy's name I worked for. I dropped the belt to him in, in, in Global. Nishimura? Uh, yes, that's him. That was one of my that was one of my best matches. Um, another one was working in, in Japan. I tagged with Bob Orton Jr., um, uh, Randy's dad. Um, another one was probably Bradshaw in the garden was fun. Um, the smoking guns was good. That raw was really fun that night. Uh, Jim Neidhart, I worked with him down in Miami for a house show for WWF. That was good. I was actually uh, actually supposed to work with Chris Candido that night. Uh, Chris was coming off an injury, but he still hurt. So they threw uh, Neidhart in there. So that was fun. Um, Gold Dust was always easy and fun to work with. Um, the Young Buds were good. Great workers. But, uh, let's, I mean, I had several, several fun matches. Sting was fun. Um, Sting was good. Uh, but uh, Hunter was good. Hunter's always, that was fun. But uh, Ray Gonzalez was a great worker in Puerto Rico. I enjoyed working with him. But uh, Eric Embry was fun to work with, him and Bill Dundee as the Dirty White Boys. That was great. Percy Pringle was out there. Uh, so was Ronnie Gossett. So, you know, just... Um, Great times, you know. I, mean, I had several, several great matches. And, you know, they fitted me in in a lot of different places, and, and I made it work. Um, so, but, yeah, lots lots of great times, man. Good matches. So, yeah, who else? Let's see. Uh, Vader was fun. You know, everybody asked me, was he stiff? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, you got to be stiff if you want to get over. I mean, but the working stiff. You know, it's a difference between beating this out of somebody and, and, and working with them stiff, you know. So, but um, I actually worked with Vader for WCW and, and the Reunion Arena in Dallas in 88. That was another show I did uh, that Jody Hamilton put me through or put me in touch with. Um, and Bill Irwin was fun. That was a great match in Monroe, Louisiana. You know, Rick Flair was the booker at the time, and I was – I just happened to be at a house show in Shreveport the night before. You know, I was in the back with the boys, and Rick Flair looked right at me and said, Hey, Alex, are you, are you available for Monroe tomorrow night? I said, Yes, sir. And, brother, I was there at the building at 5 o'clock. I was on the first match with Bill Irwin, and that's just that's just the way it worked back then, you know. Very, very cool. I was actually going to say it when you mentioned Vader. I was going to say, Oh, you know, did he work his stiff? Did you mind? But obviously, you uh... <laughs> you knew that was coming. Yeah, that's okay. You know, it's, I mean, I, I was there to get those guys over. You know, and so yeah, it's been a great career, man. I, and I still love the business. You know, this Pro Wrestling 2.0 is doing great down here. Uh, you can go to our website, ProWrestling20.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, we run again March second. We just had our our show here Tuesday night, Valentine's Crush. Um, so, uh, we've got a lot of great, great talent in the area. Some, some, some great guys out of Louisiana just came in. We put the belts on the tag team belts, the Russell twins. Uh, our, our champion is angel fashion. He does a lot of work for, uh, AEW and he's actually done a tryout with WWE and he's on the radar, you know, just a matter, you know, just. When you got 500 guys and, and only 100 guys on the roster, you know, you only got a certain amount you can shuffle through, you know. So it takes time to be at the right place at the right time. You just got to stay in the business. Yeah, that's uh, that's for sure. Do you stay current? Do you watch all the current product, or it's not really for you? You know, I, 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 I don't because I, I'm at the school every night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'm training these kids. Uh, well, we have trainers for the most part. But uh, but I, I'm, I'm I'm busy. I don't really watch much. Um, it, it is a little tougher to watch nowadays. Um, it, it it is. But um, but doesn't mean those guys aren't fantastic workers. And a lot of them are great great workers. 
Um, but it's the time slots, it's the commercial breaks, um, it's the it's the the writers that are involved now instead of old school booking. You know, there's lots of different reasons why it's the way it is, but it's still you know pro wrestling's great. You just have a different different clientele of, of, of fans now. The, the the fans that like pro wrestling when I was coming up in the 80s and 90s don't like today's product, and the ones that like it today don't like the 80s product. So it's just evolved. That's all. That is true. Kind of looking back, do you have any regrets in the business? Anything that you wish changed, or anything you wish you did differently? No, I don't think so. Um, I don't think I would have really changed a thing, to be honest with you. I, I wish I'd have gotten a, 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 a contract for for some better money. I mean, you know, uh, I was in the business, gosh, since you know '87, but never really had anything money-wise. Um, after all these years that I was able to to appreciate in the end, you know, I mean, that's why. I mean, I've got a you know. 2.0 down here. It's a it's a nice little school. I mean, but you know, uh, if I would have had some a couple of fat contracts through those years, maybe I wouldn't have to do this. You know, um, no regrets. I mean, I wish I wish. Do I wish the pug would have would have created what they wanted out of Kurt Angle? Yeah, that'd have been great. But it, but it didn't. And I wasn't Kurt Angle. I wasn't a gold medalist. You know, um, but. Yeah, I would like to have a, a stronger run, um, like anyone else. But that's just the way the chips fall. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think is like the legacy for you, um, even even as a trainer? Like, what do you what do you think people think of when they think of Alex the Pope? Great worker, consistent worker, could wrestle anybody. What do you think when people kind of look back at you? I think it just depends on what what they knew about me. You know, you got like there's a lot of guys that 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 realize I was a great worker. There's a lot of guys that label me as a jobber. There's a lot of guys that um, I don't know. I think it just depends on who you ask. You know, I think everybody has a different different look. You know, um, at, at workers. I mean, it's kind of like Bobby Eaton. You know, Bobby Eaton was probably one of the best workers ever out there. But Eric Bischoff said that uh, Bobby was just a, a, a great above enhancement talent. You know, that's just not true, you know, and and it is what it is. I mean, I'm not trying to bury anybody, but, you know, you got to be careful when you talk to people like that and say the things you say because some of the best workers were the ones that, they got the guys over and made them bigger, you know, like Rip Rogers. You know, he was he was a great worker. Mix out was he a top guy? No, but he could but he could work like one if he needed to. You know, um, he could probably call a thousand finishes right now, and I don't think anybody else in the business can do that right now. You know what I mean? So there's, yep. there's a certain level of respect there um, that that you just have to give the boys, you know. And and yes, you have to earn it. Um, but but yeah, I did a lot in pro wrestling. I really did. And um, and but there, like I said, there's a lot of guys who respect it and know that you're a great worker. And then there's some guys that ah, oh, he was a jobber. You know, Triple H beat him in four minutes. Brute beat him in six minutes. Mankind beat him in four minutes. Well, that's what the office wanted. <laughs> I could have gone out there and went 10 or 12 minutes with them. That's not what they asked for. So. Great point. Great point. And I don't know if you'll remember this, but a couple of years ago, I went out to uh, lunch. I was with uh, Barry Horowitz at a, at a convention. And he's one of those guys, too. People don't realize, like, man, the guy was a hell of a worker. You know, Moscow would beat him in this type but people aren't smart in the business don't realize that sometimes those guys are the best workers because they make the other guy look good. Sure, Barry's a great worker. You know, I mean, you're talking a guy that was in the territories and, and working on TV for 30 years, you know. Um, so, 
again, you know, there's a certain amount of respect there, you know, that 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 you give guys like that, you know, and you got to appreciate them. Yeah, and it's interesting. You are a lot bigger than I thought you were. Just because, you know, working Vader and Mankind, you don't realize, like, oh, this guy's smaller. But those guys are just huge, and you're big. Like, if you were in today's wrestling, you'd be one of the bigger guys just because, you know, I would say you're a little bit above average height. And, and, and as far as, you know, weight-wise, you're probably well above, you know, some WWE things like that. So it's, you know, looking back at, at some of the guys, oh, they're not, Bob Holly's a lot bigger than you realize. I mean, there's even Sean Waldman's a lot taller than you realize. So it's funny, like, looking back at, at that generation, you're like, wow, these guys are bigger than, than, you know, we realized that they were. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, 5'11". I'm nothing, you know, I'm, you know, I'm 255 right now, but when I was in shape, I was, you know, 215, 225. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, and, you know, and, and, you know, yes, I mean, I had my size, and there was guys in there that were my size, but most of Vince's guys and WWE guys are much bigger guys, you know, and and you can only, you can only have a match so far with that to be believable, if that makes sense. Yep. Absolutely. Now, as we uh, wind it down here and wrap it up, where is, like, your social media? I know you have Pro Wrestling 2.0. Do you do social media yourself, or is it just the uh, the training school? No, I've got uh, Alex Porto on uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook and uh, uh, Twitter, so you can find me on there. Thank you so much, man. It's a great interview, and I appreciate you guys, and let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you so much, and I appreciate all the time. You have yourself a great night. You too. Yes, sir. Bye-bye now. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at two-man power trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother. WWF superstars, Mr. Perfect, Vince McMahon, and JR has rejoined us in the broadcast booth. Uh, didn't think you're wrong, JR, to get out of there once uh, that snake was pulled out of the bag. I don't like snakes, <laughs> especially big ones. They make nice belts. That would make a big belt, I'll I tell you. So, huh? A huge monster snake, and here we go now. Alec Porto makes his initial appearance here on WWF Superstars. Alec Porto against a favorite of sorts. Uh, Barry Harwood's got an occasion to pick up these pre-recorded comments from the Pug. Special hello to all you wrestling fans out there. You're looking at Alex the Pug Porto. You know, throughout my entire amateur career, I've thrived on the competition in the world of wrestling, and now I'm here in the World Wrestling Federation to prove myself. And a big opportunity. Tight Glazner drive down to the campus. Alex the Pug Porto against Barry Harwood. Both individuals with some amateur experience. I would suggest Alex Porto with a, a bit more. Nice reversal there and a sit-up. Look at this maneuver from behind now. Tight waist. Oh, nice little roll there. And around they, around they go around the mat. Now, we're not going by points here. No, we're not. No riding time. But nonetheless, oh. big to the athleticism of, uh, of both individuals thus far. Smoking guns have quite a bit of riding power here. I understand that. And you wonder whether or not Sonny is going to be riding them into the WWF Championship or the Intercontinental Championship this Monday on Raw. Unbelievable. The guns or the tag team champions, one of them, as you said earlier, likely to become an individual champion, Mr. Perfect. And the reason I said that is because Ahmed Johnson and Shawn Michaels, their mind isn't in the match. Their mind is in the six-man tag coming up at In Your House, the international incident. And we're locked now. Watch for a chicken wing, no? Harlots against Alex the Pug Porto. With the cross face and see what Harlots uh, does here. How about that into a pinning combination? One, two, one. No, not quite. We've known for a long time that Barry Horowitz is very fundamentally sound, and I'm pretty impressed 
thus far with young Alex the Pug Porto seems to have a, a, a very good background as far as amateur wrestling is concerned. Back in a standing position now and uh, right into an arm bar of sorts. Alex the Pug Porto against Bray Hart. By the way, there's another takedown. Nicely done. I thought for a moment there was a cover and not much of one actually. Right back in the standing position. I thought for sure last week on Raw that Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson were going to you, Mr. Perfect, as their tag team partner. Just kind of had that feeling, you know? Well, they had to consider me. I mean, I am the perfect wrestler, the perfect athlete. Yeah. I can, if you want things done perfectly, you call on Mr. Perfect. I see. Well, did they call on you, and, and did you turn them down, or yeah, did I they not call on you? I turned them down. Oh, well, come on. You were their first choice, is that it? I was the first choice. I'm not so sure about that. Oh, yeah. Gary uh -huh. Harlins gets Alex the Puck Porto, and it's refreshing not to see a thus far any cheap tactics any cheap tricks if you will displayed in this square circle oh. alex porto sets up very hard what's off the rope nicely fought there uh oh horowitz with porto yeah and throw his head down to the canvas good suplex by horowitz one two and almost got him horowitz look at that one everyone no and look at this nice reversal and uh right back to the standing position now out but porto Domino stretch and wait a minute, all the way down, pinning combination. He got it! Wow! Horowitz can't believe it. And Horowitz just could not get his shoulders off the mat in time. Alex the Pug Porto. All right, we'll take another look at it here in a moment as JR has left the uh, scene to go back to grab an interview with Freddie Joe Floyd. Look at this. Abdominal stretch, lays right back in it. No escape for Barry Horowitz. Well, this is refreshing. Anything can happen here in the World Wrestling Federation. All right, that's sticking out, ladies and gentlemen.